This week on the I Love Funny Women podcast. Like, why does his mother even have him type stuff? Just really <laughs> taking it out on him. And then he's there. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. You know what I mean? I like my eyes. And then suddenly I hear a crash and the woman's under the table. And I'm like, holy shit. And the guys around her have just propped her back up. I do not waste even one second on the people that don't get it. That I wish yeah. I had known. Welcome to the I Love Funny Women podcast with your host, Dina Nina. Hello, 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 and welcome to the I Love Funny Women podcast. I am Dina Nina. And I am Alali Tadi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that was, but I'm like, uh, hi. Everything is just a little bit rough right now. I don't know, Dina, and not just <laughs> the parts of my body that need shaving. All, which is all of my body. <laughs> yeah, but then it's not rough anymore. I feel like if you leave it long enough, it becomes like fuzzy again. But I'm just like in the my rough legs, state. my underarm, my cooch, <laughs> my caboose. Uh, my um, my lady parts definitely are a little rough right now. Yeah, mine are just furry. <laughs> like I maybe I'm the only one with itches, and I should probably get it checked out. Oh but, no, like... itches! And then you know I get to that stage where it's like. <laughs> Okay, am I willing to spend $15 on a new blade when nobody's going to see this? This is a real, this is the test of self-love, Dina. <laughs> Do you love yourself enough to spend $15 on a new Venus blade, uh, even though myself. nobody is going down there? I love myself enough to spend the $15 on the blade. Yay, good for you. But See, I, I don't love myself that. enough to invest the two and a half hours that I'm going to need to <laughs> shave. <laughs> I, like, if you itch and you're scratching, you know, not scratching, but like rubbing to ease that itch, mm -hmm. and you pull hair, that's that's the problem. I'm ready. Nobody's ever going to sleep with me ever again. <laughs> You know, the, the thing I hate about being, you know, of a certain age is that early 30s. people would sleep with me, I guess, but they'd have to really like me. Like, I don't mind going to the gym. I don't mind working out. But now it feels like I have to work on my personality. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not up for it. <laughs> I'm at the no. age where I actually have to work on myself to be yeah. attractive to people. Exactly. Yeah, I'm not up for it. I oh just... my God, I want to steal that so bad. Oh, no, 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 no. That's my joke. It is, it is. <laughs> hey, if you haven't yet and you're loving or just kind of enjoying the podcast, we would love it if you'd go over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review because it really helps us with visibility on that platform. Yeah, even if you don't like us, you're listening to us. So just go and leave us a five-star review. I feel that... Let's set the bar a little low here. Uh, and we would love to hear from you, whether you're liking, loving, or hating this podcast. Do you just want to say, hey, or tell us your thoughts on the fuckery happening in Texas or anything? Go over to Instagram and tag I love funny women with the hashtag, hey Dina. 
and you could be on the podcast or on our YouTube. I can't wait for us to have a guest. I know. I can't either. Come on, so people, please go do that. Your, yeah. Go do that. Just go do it. Just do it. Hey, this is your girl, Greg. Thank you for listening to the I Love Funny Women podcast. If you haven't by now, you should really go to the socials and check out at I Love Funny Women on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and on YouTube. Because really, what else are you going to do? And here's what's happening in the news. The EU is suggesting that all Americans be barred from travel to member states. Oh. I know, I know, your American sense of victimization is being ruffled right now, isn't it? It is, and I've only had it for a few years. <laughs> well, don't worry. If you're vaccinated, most of the EU countries are still open to you penetrating their borders. Mm. Although some are like, hell no, bitch. Germany, France, Italy, Spain, the Netherlands, Belgium, and many other EU countries are still cool with your visit. But make sure that you check the regulations for what you need to know before you go. I feel seen. I'm a judged American at last. <laughs> Why would anybody want to go to Belgium? Okay, never mind. <laughs> if you're listening from Belgium, we love you. Yes, leave us a five star review. <laughs> five star review. <laughs> and speaking of, uh, 13 gorillas tested positive for COVID 19 at a Georgia zoo. Oh. They were diagnosed after they went on a school trip to Florida. <laughs> no, just kidding. They were all infected by their handler, which I don't know. I prefer the Florida school trip take infected by their handler. That sounds really irresponsible. Like no condom, no mask, no gloves. I don't know. No nookie, no cookie, no Netflix and dry humpy. You know, I agree. That's shitty. <laughs> President Biden announced that he put in a request with the Department of Labor requiring all employers with 100 or more employees to have their workforce fully vaccinated or require any unvaccinated workers to produce a negative COVID test at least once a week. And for those of you who don't comply, there's more reason to feel victimized. You'll pay $1,400 per infraction. So the moral to this story is to get fucking vaccinated. <laughs> yes. And the church said, amen. <laughs> Cardi B and her partner Offset had their second child, a boy who was born on Beyonce's birthday. The internet is aflame with guesses as to the baby's name, which will obviously be shock to compliment his sister culture. <laughs> or club with a K. Ooh, or clash with a K. Ooh, how about all appropriation? Like culture, all appropriate. Okay, moving on. <laughs> I think I prefer Bob with a K. Oh, I like that. That's good. That's so cool. Cardi B names her new baby Bob. Nobody would have money on that. Nobody. <laughs> and we'll be right back with the interview. Have you heard about it? Have you experienced it? The I Love Funny Women podcast with your host, Dina Nina. This week we have an interview that I waited two years to record, at least two years. We couldn't get it together. And finally, I got to chat with my friend, whom I've known since I was just a baby comedian. She is a comedian, producer, and showrunner, and has a Substack newsletter called Bartleby. So please welcome to the show, Rebecca Donahue. 
Oh my God, I'm so excited to see you. Very excited to see you, Dina. You look wonderful. Even in a baseball cap, you still look better than I do. I don't agree. You look I, amazing. I, I totally agree. And you're wearing great eyewear. I mean, eyewear is my thing. <laughs> Are it's those the only thing that fits me. Okay. Are, like shoes? I understand that. <laughs> the second my eyes went bad, I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I started getting two and three pairs. <laughs> I'm obsessed with eyewear. Um, they are not prescription, but they are readers because I'm at that age. <laughs> I understand um, that age. I have to put things in an arm length. <laughs> like I have to hold it like out at an arm's length, which really there's just no, you can't disguise that. And your arm doesn't get longer. <laughs> the further you need something away, it's just, you're like, just can you sit that, set my newspaper on the table over there, hun? Yeah, sweetheart, can you hold that in the next room so that I can read? Just read. hold it up. Okay, turn, turn. <laughs> it's pathetic. It's the worst. I thought, was that you? I don't think so. I thought it was you, but I did hear a ringing. Oh, do you know why? Because I'm calling somebody. That's why. Ah! <laughs> it's usually me, but that was definitely you. I was like, "What is happening?" <laughs> and I was, I was like, "What? What?" Okay. It was like, and it was like muffled. It was like a secret ringtone. It was amazing. So you were you moved to Los Angeles around the time that I started comedy and had just really started getting into it and really loving it, and I. You were one of the people who I always felt like I was really good and it made me happy that somebody else heard, you know, saw that in me. Well, I'm, I'm first of all, I, I can't believe that was your start in comedy because I arrived in L.A. and I thought you had been doing it for a while. So that just goes to show mm -hmm. you, like, I thought you had been at it for a while. And I was like, oh, OK, here's. Here's a bitch who I'm gonna like. I mean, just straight up. I was like, I'm gonna like this bitch from like you on stage, from you off stage. And that was the case. Like from Jump, I remember you had those great shows like at Hamburger Mary's or something, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Way back when. And they were just fun. And you were just very authentic on stage. And I tend to I gravitate towards that even more than like joke machines. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like anybody can write a joke or eventually write a good joke but that authenticity i think coupled with joke writing is what just makes something like where you're like you have to see that person you know and i always thought you had that oh thank you i i was remember remembering one of those nights and we were one of those shows at hamburger mary's in long beach this couple of, this table was like talking so loud they were so loud and I was on stage and I was like, so what's going on over there? And then I started making fun of them and this lady took out her breast and were like, was like slapping. I'm like, what? And I'm like, what is that? How is that supposed to be a, how are you supposed to be coming back at me when you're being loud and then you take your breast out and you're slapping them? With a tit slap. Yeah. A heckling tit slap. It doesn't. I'm not surprised. I don't. I don't remember that in particular, which says a lot about my comedy career. That I think that was probably pretty run of the mill. The taking the tits out and slapping them about, you know what I mean. And um, I'm not surprised. And I'm not surprised to have it in there. And I'm not surprised that you handled it with with finesse. 
What's the weirdest thing that you've experienced when you've been on stage? Oh, I think one time it was, I was actually kind of known for being fairly good with hecklers because I hosted so much. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of my material just would be very, you know, off the crowd. I mean, I had bits too, but I was, I was kind of known for that in New York. And one time, but one time it went horribly wrong. (laughs) And one time this guy was heckling throughout the show and it was like a two hour show that I was hosting. He was just heckling, heckling, getting progressively more and more drunk. And then he, I didn't see it happening. And then suddenly he's on stage next to me. And it, it was this moment of like, Oh shit. Like, is he gonna like, what's he going to do? Like, and I know if I was a dude, like it would have gotten into some kind of like fight or something. But I just became the biggest vagina. I know this. I'm going to knock uh, a feminism down three pegs by saying this. But literally in that moment, I was like, oh, he's on the stage and might kill me. So I literally put my arm around him and I was like, hey, how you doing? And I brought him close and I gave him a kiss on the cheek. And he literally went from like crazy, like high, tense energy. And he kind of went, she just kissed me. Like, and his whole body sort of deflated. Like he didn't know what to do with it. And then he just turned around and walked away. (laughs) But it was this moment you could see the audience because the audience didn't realize he had gone on the stage either. The air sucked out of the room. And all I could think was, I got to disarm this guy because I had just just been calling him everything you could possibly imagine. Like, you know, like, why did his mother even have him type stuff? You know what I mean? (laughs) Just really taking it out on him. And then he's there. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. You know what I mean? I like my eyes. You know, was what I was thinking. (laughs) But but thankfully, in the moment, he was disarmed enough or was like, well, I I don't know what to do with this. I'm confused. And then he just walked away. And so that was probably one of the, I would call it scarier moments. I think with male comics that happens and, and someone gets punched in the face. I really do. I've seen that happen too, but not mm. obviously hasn't happened to me, but I've seen some guys. Remember the taxi cab show game show? Cash yes. cab, cash cab. Yes. Ben Bailey. He was amazing, but there's this legendary story where he, a guy wouldn't shut up and he's a really big guy. He's like six foot something at the comedy cellar. And he just finally like after, I think like a half an hour was like, all right, buddy. Boom. And just like punch him in the face. <laughs> and, then, and then walked off stage. <laughs> like only men can do that. Like women have to actually use words. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So we have to be smart kind of... about it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so we just kiss them. So or we cry. Yeah. So, we, so we use our, our sluttiness. It's ridiculous. Kids yeah. are crying. It confuses men. Exactly. Always. The only other thing I could say I could think to say was I had my period, like maybe in the moment. Right. That's the only other thing that would confuse them more. I'm on my period. Oh, I have a period. You better get off the stage. And then he would be like, "Oh, I'll get the tampons," and he would have ran out. Yeah. <laughs> I remember a time when I was on stage at the comedy um, comedy store, and it was in the main room, the big room. Sure. Um, and some guy came up on stage and took the microphone from me. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? And what did you do? Like, did anyone in the clubs? I mean, really, the clubs should police that, but they never do. 
Mm-hmm. And what what happens? And it's like I mean I I don't he I just gave him the mic and kind of backed up because I was like <laughs> I'm a trans lady who could get murdered on stage. Of course, you know, course. like so yes. I'm like backing up. I'm I like froze and I'm, it's like I'm a I'm in the presence of a bear trying to back up slowly, <laughs> just getting smaller and smaller, and I'm Fuck. like. <laughs> It's scary. It can be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it can be 100%. Yeah, I would have I would have killed him for you. But yeah, uh, I would have loved it if you were there. <laughs> would yeah. have been there. <laughs> I mean, those shows are so excruciating anyway, you know, by the by the time someone who's newer to the scene and didn't bring anybody gets on stage, then like everybody shit-faced and tired and just like Yeah, and they I I I call it like People never understand this, but when you come up in in comedy, there's two really horrific types of shows. There's the comedy ambush show, I call it, the comedy ambush, which is like people are having a lovely dinner and they didn't know a, a comedy show was going to break out around them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because some really ambitious producer was like, oh, that'd just be a good room for a show. And the restaurant needs to sell more drinks. And they're like, okay, do a comedy show in the middle of this wonderful white tablecloth dinner with couples out on a date. And then suddenly, <laughs> you know, a guy on date two is being insulted in front of it. It's, it's, it's a nightmare. So there's a comedy ambush. And then there's the bringer shows, which are a necessary evil when you start out. But they become literally marathons of torture because they mm-hmm. pack on as many new and sometimes excruciating acts as they can. And I've done this too. I, I ran them when I had to back in New York, you know. Um, and, but they never they never ends. If, hopefully, you have the, your best people towards the end that you that you don't require to bring to sort of save the show. Yeah. And you kind of just got to sit through it, and you, hopefully, you get lucky. But you're right; people drink more and more to sort of deal with it <laughs> at the two drink minimum. And but it's it's the, oh yeah. And at the comedy store. It seems like you feel like you can't leave. Like you're you're in the show. The room was filled, and it's a two and a half hour show, and you're there until the end. Do you know, like one hundred percent. So you've just defined it. It's the comedy ambush or the comedy hostage situation. Exactly. It's one of the two. <laughs> in the beginning. And I've been on both. Luckily, in the Midwest, there aren't a lot of bringer shows. Maybe they're on Chicago, but like I, I haven't had to do a bringer show. <laughs> So which is amazing. It it's which is so good. I think it's a, a lot of the reason sometimes that comedians will go into what are called like, you know, B, B cities when it comes to um, comedy. But I, I just feel like, you know, as long as you sort of started or got like your feet wet in a big city, so you know what the competition is, sometimes I think it's better going to those cities because you get more time. It's more quality time, you know, it's yeah. good in a lot of ways. I mean, you get you always get ten minutes, mm-hmm. almost always get ten minutes, unless it's a open mic, which at least ten minutes. And back then, fighting to have a ten minute slot, you know, like how and and that's one of the things that's so frustrating about a bigger market is like how is anyone ever supposed to get enough time to build their material in a show where you're doing five minute sets every few every night, like. It's very difficult. You either have to do like, you know, dozens of dozens of those shitty sets a week where you really lose your soul half the time, or you have to go out of town and do it. And, yeah. and, and those are their own special hell, you know, going, you know, out of the major city and sort of doing the road and around it. 
but that's you really can't do this yeah it the cities are like for showcases it's for like you know agents <laughs> back when there wasn't you know a major pandemic. though it's going to be interesting to see how zoom and everything changes comedy i don't know but um yeah in the city it's it's, it's just a slog to, yeah. to to get the time it's difficult yeah you've done a lot of really fun things and i love that you've done comedy in a different country Yes. And I'm curious about how that how your comedy translated to a UK audience. Sure. I um I met my wife in Edinburgh and I used to, you know, at the time I was sort of, I would call myself, although I'm still gay at this point, but I would have I would have called myself somewhere wildly on the Kinsey scale. You know what I mean? Because I would like, sometimes get annoyed with lesbians and I'd dip back into the man pool. It was like this crazy thing that I would just go back and forth and back and forth. Until I met my wife and then it was over. And then I was like, gay, 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 gay. And so I used to make this running joke that um, I thought I was going to go to Scotland and meet a man in a skirt and I met a woman in pants. <laughs> so stupid. So hack. But um, that is what happened. I met her at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I went there and she was studying um, vet med, veterinary medicine. And I met her on a you know, a picnic bench outside of one of the festival venues having a beer. And it was great. You know, um, she came to my show. She came a gazillion times. And we just like really hit it off. So I eventually I was kind of done with New York and I moved there and I was doing stand up there. And it was one of these things where at first my jokes were so New York-y and I'm trying to do them in the middle of Scotland. You know what I mean? And they yeah. were like, what is Fran Drescher talking about? Like that's <laughs> literally, they were puzzled. They didn't know what was happening. But then over time, as I lived there a bit, you just assimilate. It's just human nature. And so I think it became towards the end of my stay there. I, I did even better and i did i did well because the new york archetype is just such a globally known archetype that they could yeah. get it they would be like yeah. oh new york and even in the middle of scotland they would get it but then i eventually knew what their stuff was like what their local crap was like a, a sandwich from greg's is going to be shit and this supermarket is this and this. and i would use mm -hmm. all the local references with my new york accent and that's when it was like i would kill because they would just be like, oh my God, and she knows what Greg's is, and she knows what a bap is, and she knows what the blah, blah, blah. And I would use all their references with my weird accent. And that became like a whole other like level. But I will say, it was super fun. I learned a lot. There's a sort of, I would call it British European originality and a, a, a British European hack also that's that's different yeah. from ours, you know, and you learn them both and you see them both. Um, and but ultimately, like good storytelling is just good storytelling. So if, if you're a good comic, you can really kind of do it anywhere. They speak your language, really. I yeah. Think. yeah. 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 But it was a blast. I love it. They don't give the free drinks away there, though, like we do here, which is shocking, kind of, I will say. And they have the metered pours. Yeah. Like, I'm like, oh, what is that? Come on, give me a fucking free pour, for God's okay. sake. Well, okay, so a story on that. Not only do they have the metered pour, and by the way, they need it, because the thing is, like, their people will get so drunk <laughs> that they, they literally had to 
do that on a national level because the way, like, I, it's the only place where I've seen like grown women. And when I say grown women, I mean like in their 40s, like a normal just group of people, they look like workmates, you know, and they were all sitting around a table. And then suddenly I hear a crash and the woman's under the table. And I'm like, holy shit. And I turn my head and the guys around her have just propped her back up. Like she's that shit, like in America, that's when you put the person in a cab and you, you're like precious cargo and here's the address and you know, you get them, not there. No, no, no. They prop you back up. They, it's like weekend and Bernie's. They act as if nothing happens. It's like, it's, it's drinking on another level. So they have to meet or pour it. But what's crazy is like my wife, for example. So she was there a couple of years and she was, and we were going back and forth for a while, long distance. In the metered poor, right? And then she came and saw me. And I was doing a crazy show at the Stonewall, and I knew in New York, and I knew the bartender, and so he knew it was my my wife. So he started making these drinks for her free pours. She was shit house by that. She couldn't even because you just she's just not used to it, you know. <laughs> so like you just the difference is is incredible. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, I love it. Um, so you're in LA now. I am indeed. Um, are you one of those LA people that's like fucking hate LA? I want to move back to New York. Well, yes, to a degree. <laughs> yes, to a degree. I don't want to move back to New York, but it, there is a, I mean, you know this, Dina, from living, there is just a step for wives quality to just even the weather here. It never mm. changes. Everything is so dry. Like, you're just like, are we all okay? Are we all medicated? We don't, and I really, I realize like your soul needs a change in weather. Yes. Like it needs the rain or the snow. It needs something or darkness, something, you know, and you have none of that in LA, Um, but you do have space. I I do like the people. Most people don't, but I like the people. Um, And I I will say the business is here. I mean, the business is really here in New York. So as far as business opportunities, it's been great. But I do think the the ultimate goal is like get really good in New York and LA and then go someplace with like land. Yeah. <laughs> you know, once you have a career and you can live anywhere if you ever if you ever reach that goal. But man, that would be the ultimate goal. And I'm like, I'm yeah. gonna move to the West, Midwest and become small town famous. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Wouldn't it be so great if our business could change enough where we could truly eke out livings anywhere? And I, I really hope that that's the way it goes. I mean, I just finished a writing gig that was a true writer's room and we did it all virtually. And it just, it just proved the point to me that it can be done virtually everything, but the shooting really all the pre-production, all the writing, all the research, all the development, all of it minus the actual shooting can be done virtually and remotely. Um, and then I like our whole business would change if everybody really embraced that because then you could truly live anywhere, you know, and just kind of fly in for shoots, or at least that would be like the dream, you know. My writing um, partner, my writing partner's in the UK and we've been writing together for over a decade. It's so doable. I mean, look, I even probably was more hesitant about it. I mean, I did a Zoom call here and there before the pandemic, but holy shit, I, I'm on Zoom sometimes like six hours a day now. You know, like, mm-hmm. and, and it just, it's really changed my perspective on it. And I, I think it's going to be very hard for, it, it's, I think the jury's still out on what it's going to do to the entertainment industry, but I think it's going to be very hard for normal 
jobs that are like in factories per se to say you have to come back into an office. I mean, how yeah. are they going to justify that now? You know, so. Yeah. And yeah. now like um, most of the major corporations are selling their assets and having people work from home. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the, I can't it, imagine. Well, I mean, I think anything that gets rid of a commute is a good idea. Are there certain like it's, should you come together for meetings or yeah, you know, that would probably be helpful. But I just think like, I don't know, maybe this is how we could all move towards a better quality of life to some degree, you know? Yeah. Um, and of course the corporations are never going to do it unless it helps their bottom line, like, you know, by ha not having office space and not having to pay that rental fee. So if that's what right. they get out of it, great. And if it benefits the, you know, the worker, then great. Yeah. You know, what's one thing you wish you would have known? before you started comedy? I wish I had known on the business side to go where the love is, which is something I learned, but I didn't know initially. And I think that happens to everybody. Some people figure it out really quickly and some people it takes a bit, took me a bit. But, you know, like, let's say there's one booker of a club or one particular agent that everybody has. You feel like if you're not in with that booker or in with that agent that you're a failure. And the truth is, first of all, these bookers are restaurant managers, which takes you forever to realize. Like you think they have some power in the business. They have none. They are restaurant managers. And you're like breaking your head against a wall to get in with a restaurant manager. Do you know what I mean? Whereas I like you could be, spend that time writing or, or, you know, partnering with another great comedian and coming up with a great idea and selling that. Like, it just was so much wasted time in the beginning knocking on these doors that were pretty much, you know, completely cemented shut. And so that whole go where the love is, like, if this person doesn't like you, doesn't get what you're doing, find the people that do mm -hmm. and, and put your energy there and do not waste even one second on the people that don't get it. That I wish yeah. I had known. That's so good. Who really inspires you in the industry? Wow. I mean, like, I think people like, believe it or not, Chloe Zhao, I would say, who mm. was the director of like No yeah. Man Land. Because again, you know, I, I think that you have to do everything yourself, whether, you know, just what you're talking about, Dina, whether you get an agent, whether you um, have some success, you still, you cannot rest. You got to do everything yourself. And if she's not an example of that, I don't know who is. Like, if you really read her backstory, like, she came out of NYU, one of the top film schools. I think Forrest Whitaker signed on to help produce one of her um, first films. And it didn't matter that it was Forrest Whitaker. She still worked on that one film for five years, had to, like, predominantly fund it herself, had, couldn't afford actors, went out and got real people to do it. You know, it was all out of necessity. It was necessity is the mother of invention. That's what she did. And then the movies were so good and so watchable. And so literally, you know, I think that um, the first cowboy movie that she did went to Sundance and, and um, um, Frances McDormand is watching it. And she's like, who the fuck is Chloe Zhao? I mean, she watched it and she went, who the fuck is Chloe Zhao? If you can do that, like that, I just admire because I just think, you have to do it all yourself. You really do. There's Can we just... talk about Frances McDormand? Please. Not a fuck at all. Just showed up, greasy hair, just was like, I'm, I do my job. I'm here to get my award. 
and I'm leaving with my greasy ass hair. If Frances Norton doesn't give a fuck. No, she and, really doesn't. Like, and she has it for quite some time. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. It was the most like I felt like the most badass you know, feminist, I'm fucking walking in with my greasy ass hair and I'm getting my goddamn award. And she's and a fucking leaving. brilliant actress. And then the other Amazing. thing I love about her is the speeches don't even make sense anymore. She's so gone to like another level. I think she just got on stage and she was like, Ryder, Ryder. And then just like walked off stage and everybody, everybody was like, what does she mean by Ryder? Does she mean like she wants to get written or what is she? Oh, she means like the contractual Ryder. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. She's so good and famous. She's now giving like one word speeches and just it's, running on stage. And I think the best thing about it is that when you are, that, when you give that few fucks, you give that few fucks on camera and you embody that character so much. Like I get still get self, you know, insecure about being fat and acting, you know, like being plus getting older but she goes on stage and she doesn't give a fuck and everything she does is that character like it's just like when you don't care fuck like it's just magic oh it's magic when when you can and and she's not the first person to do nor say that there've been a lot of other really talented people that have said mm -hmm. everything opens up when you stop when you stop caring you know and they don't mean like you stop <laughs> like you stop showing up on time like they don't mean that they mean <laughs> you come to do the work and you don't care about the end result or the bullshit around it or, and that is, I think that that is true because mm -hmm. you relax when that happens. And when you can relax, you are at your best and most authentic. And, and really, I think like half of my, especially when I was a comedian and an actor, even more so half my job was trying to get out of my own way mm. so that I could just relax. Like that was half of it, you know? Um, yeah. And it's truly difficult, but if you can do it to your point, it's everything. Mm. Yeah. Rebecca Donahue. You're amazing. Is that it? Are we done? That's it. We're done. Where are people going to find you? Um, you can find me. I have a, a really crazy newsletter that I sent out called Bartleby. So it's Bartleby.substack.com, like that little uh, short story you had in grade school, Bartleby the Scrivener. So there's that. You can find me on Instagram, Rebecca Donio. You can find me. That's it. You don't need to find me anywhere else. That's enough. <laughs> Jesus. Go find yourself. <laughs> Go find yourself. <laughs> Tina, I love you. Are we done? And that is all we have for this week. Thanks again for listening to I Love Funny Women podcast. You can find us on all the social media at I Love Funny Women. And you can find us on YouTube as well. Amazing. This podcast was written by me. And me. And you can find me on all the socials at Dina Nina XO. I am on Lalita D Comedy. And you can find our guest Rebecca Donahue on Instagram at Rebecca S M Donahue. Our door girl Greg is on Instagram at GG Potter. And you guys know how much I love Krista Garner, <laughs> who is on Instagram at Krista Garner. This is an Artemis Glow Studio production. In association with Crossover Media and AMG. Have a great, Have a great week. week. Ciao, ciao.